The PSAs you hear on Miller and Condon and iHeartMedia Des Moines are presented in part by Nick Mick. We take care of our own. Now, here's Miller and Condon. Sports Station 1460 KXNO 106.3 FM. Bottom of the hour, Roshan Corporation sponsors. Uh, during the non-sports portion of the year, we have gone back and looked at some of the better teams that uh, played in the state of Iowa, whether they be Hawks, Panthers, Bulldogs, or Clones. Today, a look at the 2005-2006 Iowa men's basketball team. Jeff Horner is going to join the program uh, at the bottom of the hour or thereabouts. We're going to hear from uh, Governor Kim Reynolds. Got a feeling we're... Today's going to be a lot of information type of day. Right, yeah. Some uh, more information coming in about the different counties, what's being opened up. Is It feels like the state of Iowa certainly opening it up and maybe finding out more about the conversation yesterday. She went out to D.C. I saw that. And yep. got back. But, uh, yeah, looking at the, the live feed right now, they have the camera pointed to the door. Getting ready for her to walk through, but no sign of government. Well, Reynolds I can do this. this. Uh, the numbers are in from the Iowa Department of Health. While we wait on the governor, six hundred and fifty-five new cases, uh, twelve new deaths uh, in the state of Iowa. Don't have a breakdown what counties those were in, but I'm sure you'll hear that uh, coming up once uh, Governor Reynolds does make her way to the podium. Yeah, seemingly trends. We seem like sports are. Starting to think about again, you know what I mean? Whether Mm -hmm. it's the NFL, we've heard some good stuff on MLB. Um, NBA, kind of silent lately. I think the NHL behind the scenes is trying to figure out uh, uh, their best case scenario, how to do it. And I think an announcement's coming tomorrow regarding the AHL season, which to this point has yet to been canceled. But I believe uh, that news, whether... We don't know if that's going to be the outcome or not, but it certainly seems like that would be the case, right? I mean, they don't have television contracts. Right, yeah. Completely different circumstances that we're talking about with something like that. You know, another piece we talked yesterday, and we couldn't remember the date that the PGA Tour was supposed to be back. The first, right. if you will, um, at least of the sports that matter to us, uh, that we get excited about. June 8th through the 14th, the Charles Schwab Challenge is uh, going to be the first date back on that one. Followed by the Heritage down in Hilton Head. And still on the schedule, July 6th through the 12th, the John Deere Classic over in the Quad Cities. The Charles Schwab, I would be interested to know how much handle that did in oh, sports wagering. Yeah. Uh, last year, as opposed to what the, the numbers are just going to be through the roof for I'm, crying out loud. going to be firing. I mean, think about that. A month from right now, we'll be talking about, we're going to bring on Matt Rudy, and we're yes. going to preview this thing. We'll Absolutely. be talking about Fort Worth and Colonial. It's always Colonial. been my favorite tournament, Trent, <laughs> well, as you well know. It's going to be my favorite this year, that yeah. is for sure. Just to get that back. You know, there's a big MMA event going on this weekend. I'm, I've that never was been... the last, I think, true sport live that I watched, yeah. wasn't it? Wasn't that wasn't in Brazil and it was an all-day event? I think that was the case. Yeah, ESPN had that. Yep, yep ESPN yep. had it. The the, uh, the conference tournaments had shut down at that point. Mm-hmm. And we had, I think that was the last thing we watched. For me, it? it was the following Friday, then after that, the Australian oh, Rules no, football. No, no. Okay, but when was the high school Oh, that went to that Friday, yeah. That went to that Friday. Yep. That might have been the last event that we saw. Saw the championship game. Saw the championship game. By the way, the kid that, um, uh, Waukee, what's his last name? The, the, he's big. Uh, is it Sanford? Oh, yeah, Peyton Sanford. Yeah. Peyton Sanford. 
I see he's getting some interest at maybe at Iowa. Yeah, yeah, he's had an Iowa offer Has going he? back to last summer. Iowa, Minnesota, Utah were his major offers that he got That's last summer. That's a pretty good summer. list. Uh, real good list. <laughs> and him and Tucker DeVries, I mean, you talk about a one-two combo yeah. in Iowa basketball with those two guys playing together. Of course, ended for them in the state tournament mm-hmm. as Ankeny made that run. That Hawks team... That's another fun thing about sports. I mean, before the tournament began, before Substate began, nobody had Ankeny cutting down the nets in Class 4A, and and there they were, a team that seemingly came out of nowhere. People talked about Centennial, but it was ultimately the Hawks that got it done, and just how great that was, and and to see those kids in the most odd environment. I've called a lot of games, as you know, Ken. Mm -hmm. That one, at first, I mean, because you have headphones on. You're not not hearing everything, Mm -hmm. but... When I did, or during a break, and just that eerie feeling that you had just waiting there, it was wild. And something I certainly will never forget how it went. Indeed. All right. Well, speaking of waiting, the wait no more for the governor of the state of Iowa. Here's Kim Reynolds. Well, good morning. Uh, Yesterday, I was at the White House at the invitation of the president to update him, the vice president, as well as others from the administration and the coronavirus task force about Iowa's approach to COVID-19, especially as it related to our aggressive testing strategy, robust case investigation, all to contain and manage virus activity here in Iowa. I was also proud to be joined uh, on the trip by uh, Dr. Padati, who shared with the president and those in attendance what her and the team at the Department of Public Health are seeing in the data as it relates to virus activity. She did such a good job in answering the president's questions that that during the press conference, he invited her to be a part of the coronavirus task force. And one of the reasons I think that this is really exciting is because there is no representation from a state level on the coronavirus task force. And so I think that will allow kind of a state's perspective to be heard uh, as we work through the coronavirus pandemic. So um, good job and thank you for joining me uh, there and great work on the Department of Public Health. It was also an opportunity for me to highlight Iowa's role in feeding the nation and the world. Um, Some of the significant challenges that we face related to that with COVID-19, as I was able to highlight, 10% of the nation's food supply is produced by Iowa farmers. Nearly 80% of our workforce was essential and remained open as we moved through um, COVID-19. Our strong manufacturing base that's focused on food processing and supply chain, our essential workforce and infrastructure is critical to keeping the food supply chain open and moving and food on the table. We talked about the proactive measures that we're taking to protect our most vulnerable Iowans and keep essential workers safe while businesses are up and operating. The importance of PPE, the CDC and OSHA guidelines uh, for processing plants and the Defense Production Act. And how our strike teams are conducting surveillance testing, both diagnostic or serology of employees, sometimes both, at our long-term care facilities, manufacturing and processing plants. And how this process has really helped us identify positive cases isolate those that are testing positive, help them get on a path to recovery, and really start to understand the scope of the virus activity and provide assurance to employees of a safe work environment while keeping our essential businesses operating safely and responsibly. We also talked about our launch of Test Iowa and the importance of our assessments and increasing increased testing capacity, again, to help us manage virus activity, protect the health of Iowans, and get our economy back on track. In fact, I was uh, proud to uh, 
relate to the team that since March, we've actually increased our testing capacity by 800%. We were doing 300 a day in March, 1,300 uh, on average in April, and we're averaging about 2,900 now in May. And how we're really utilizing the Iowa National Guard, the Department of Public Health, and the Department of Human Services to expand our really important case investigation team. You know, when Iowa moved to substantial spread uh, in mid-March, we put in place targeted mitigation efforts to slow the spread, flatten the curve, to prevent overwhelming our health care systems. And I'm proud to say that Iowans do what they always do, and they responded. Uh, and that really gave us time to put in place our RMCCs, uh, RMCC regions, to really collaborate with our hospital systems in each of these uh, regions. And eventually, we were able to identify identify on a daily basis to Iowans the number of beds, ICU beds, and vents that were available, that were in use, and that were available. And today, we have 79% of our ICU beds available and 74% of our vents that are available for patient care. So since then, since we kind of really accomplished what we were trying to do to make sure that we had the health care resources available, we now have shifted our focus from mitigation of resources to managing and containing virus activity as we begin to open Iowa back up. Another part of Iowa's response to COVID-19 has been keeping Iowans informed. And since the first positive cases of COVID-19 that were confirmed in Iowa, it's hard to believe, that was literally just about two months ago, we've communicated with Iowans through nearly daily press conferences. We've leveraged social media and launched a dedicated website. Our goal from the start has been to provide Iowans up-to-date information regarding COVID-19, our response, and what they could do to protect their health and the health of others. As the weeks have passed, we've worked to improve the information we provide and really how it's delivered, from reporting more information to making it more accessible. And today, I'm pleased to announce additional changes to the state website, which you can find at coronavirus.iowa.gov, that will make it easier for Iowans to, again, assess the data, access the data, and information that shows what's happening across our state. We've created a more visual dashboard that allows you to follow trends on a daily basis and filter data down to a specific day or county so Iowans can um, access the information that's most relevant to them. Another benefit of this change is that information will now be timelier. Current, currently, there's some lag time in reporting our numbers. For example, when I report the daily numbers, when I reported the daily numbers at Tuesday's press conference, they reflected a 24-hour time period starting the previous Sunday at 10 a.m. to Monday at 10 a.m. Now we'll be able to report cases from 12 a.m. to 11 p.m. the previous day, providing information sooner and giving you a better sense of the current situation. Because of this change in reporting, uh, in reporting time, in the reporting time frame, the total case counts you see on the website today now include tests reported from 10 a.m. Tuesday through 11:59 p.m. last night on Wednesday. Because of the reporting time change, all daily numbers on the site now reflect cases from 12 a.m. to 11.59 p.m. each day. So they will not match up with what, you've pe what we've previously reported. I can assure you that the numbers are accurate. They just reflect a different period of time from when we were originally reporting. I've heard many anecdotal stories about Iowans who have created spreadsheets to carefully track the numbers from day to day. So if 
you've been doing that, the latest change means you won't be able to reconcile your numbers with the updated information that's now on the website. But what we have, but we do have a new feature that I think you'll appreciate. You can now export the data from the website to a, a spreadsheet or a variety of other files. And so that should make the data more functional for you. And that uh, really is the purpose of the latest update uh, to our website. You can also see the case counts for every day since our first positive cases. Have the, having the ability to look back over time has been a regular request, but providing this information has not been easy until now. Providing, providing more information to Iowans, making it easier to understand and access, and being transparent with the type of data we're using to inform our decisions. This site, it's also very interactive, which is something that I really like. And one of my favorite features is, again, the ability to drill down to cases by county. So uh, if you click on the county, uh, if you click on any county on the map, or even multiple counties at once, some of the data on the page updates to reflect the area that you select. You can access also um, test Iowa data, including the number of assessments completed by age and gender, gender and a breakdown of uh, county. You can also continue to access data that has been uh, regularly reported, including hospital resource data through the RMCC report and information about our long-term care outbreaks. One data item that continues to be an of interest is the epi curve, which is now represented in multiple ways on the website. And I've asked Dr. Uh, well, Dr. Padati was instrumental in making that possible, so I've asked her uh, to explain more. Dr. Padati. Thank you, Governor Reynolds. Again, I think when we talk about an epidemic curve or epi curve, this is one of the important ways that public health epidemiologists look at information. And this is the time element of the person, place, and time data that we use to understand a disease or a condition. And so what you'll find on the website will be another epi curve. In fact, you'll see two. And one of them is going to report total tested people by day, so that's the time element and the other will report positive cases by day again providing that element of time to understand trends and that's an important part of assessing this virus and our response as we move forward and it's an approach that we've taken in public health over the past several decades with regard to flu it's important for us to be able to assess overarching trends at the national state and local levels to help us understand disease activity and where to target resources is to help implement public health measures that will help keep people safe and healthy. Thank you, Dr. Padati. I really appreciate the work that you and the team did to make the, the data uh, more meaningful for Iowa. And so I hope everyone will take some time to explore the new features on the website and find what's of interest to you. So again, just go to coronavirus.iowa.gov. Data about virus activity across the state really has continued and will continue to help us drive the decisions we make about how to contain and manage it and, be, be, and begin to gradually reopen businesses in a responsible manner. Just as we can't stop the virus completely, we also can't keep businesses closed and our lives restricted indefinitely. And effective tomorrow, some additional restrictions will be lifted.
Dentists may resume dental services in compliance with certain requirements, including those that were adopted by the dental board, and they must also have adequate inventory of PPE and a plan to conserve it. Campgrounds, drive-in movie theaters, tanning facilities, and medical spas may reopen according to business um, guidance from the Department of Public Health. And effective statewide tomorrow, the following businesses may open according to public health guidance. Malls at 50% capacity with common um, seating and play areas closed, and some retail establishments may reopen at 50% a capacity as well. As we have seen this week, business owners will decide whether the time is right to reopen their doors, just as Iowans um, choose whether or not they will resume some of their normal activities. Regardless of our individual decisions, we must all continue to take personal responsibility for our health and the health of others by continue to continuing to practice all preventive health measures and reduce your risk to being exposed to the virus or exposing others. Social distancing, careful hygiene practices, wearing a mask if you choose. It's how we continue to interact in public. It's how we'll continue to interact in public for some time so that we protect ourselves and those who are the most vulnerable. So again, if you're a vulnerable Iowan, 65 or older, or you have some underlying condition, conditions, uh, continue to stay home and to really manage um, your exposure to the virus. So thank you for doing your part. And with that, we will open it up for questions. Governor, yesterday, uh, Mike Pence, Vice President Mike Pence, said that Iowa has been a success story. Um, do you agree with that? And if so, what are you basing that on? And do you believe that we've gotten over the peak? Well, so I do think we're shifting in the way that we're talking about the virus and how we maintain it. So originally, as we talked about, our, our goal was to stabilize, to really make sure that we were uh, flattening the curve, that we were slowing the spread, that we weren't overwhelming our health care resources. And as I said in my remarks, through the RMCC and what we've been able to do, and because Iowans really adhered to what we asked them to do with the targeted, uh, targeted uh, mitigation efforts, we now know the amount of ICU beds that we have available, the number of vents that we have available, the surge plans that hospitals have put in place to be prepared for an outbreak uh, if that should happen. So I think one of the things that they talked about that we have done kind of uniquely in the state of Iowa is our aggressive testing capacity, especially with our role in manufacturing and our long-term care facilities. So by being able to provide increased testing capacities to our processing plants, both diagnostic PCR and serology testing, we are able to identify quickly the number of positive cases, the number of negative cases, isolate the individuals that are positive, get them on a path to recovery, separate the lines so we're not mixing positive individuals and those that have tested negative, um, as well as providing appropriate PPE, doing measures inside of the plant to continue to protect this essential workforce and really um, start to understand the scope of the virus and continue to not only protect the employees, but to keep our processing plants up and moving, our manufacturing plants up and moving, to do everything we can that to protect our most vulnerable in our long-term care facilities, and um, again, really start to mitigate um, some of the impact from the virus. So from that perspective, yeah, I think we're an example that other states can follow. And because of the data and the robust con 
uh, case investigation and tracing, that also provides us the data um, on how and where we need to really target our approach to get in front of some spike or some additional um, virus activity that we're seeing in you know, counties, in communities, and, and what that may look like and how we can be proactive in, in addressing that. I think reviews of data of multiple states that we've seen in some, in like on NPR and some other national publications have shown that Iowa doesn't necessarily stand out in its test capacity. Test Iowa hasn't ramped up yet. And Iowa is one of the states where the virus is spreading the fastest, including some of the communities like Sioux City that have had ex like explosive growth yeah. in cases. So how, yeah. how do you... Um, well, just as Dr. Burks indicated with us at, at, as well, um, you know, Iowans can be proud of what we're doing. You should be proud of what we're doing. We are leading, and we're leading by example, and we're going to continue to lead. We've ramped up our testing. We've increased it by 800% since March. We are in a pandemic. We have a rapidly changing environment, and we are reacting and being proactive at the same time. Uh, when we had a chance to talk to them about how we're aggressively utilizing testing and contact tracing and working in partnership with our manufacturing facilities, they didn't understand that we were going to the hot spot and we were testing. So, of course, our positive cases are going to increase. And, of course, we're going to be able to, we're going to continue to see that. But we're also, like we did with some of the plants, we're going to identify, we're going to separate, we're going to mitigate the exposure, and we're going to be able to get them back up and increasing their capacity uh, at these plants so that our farmers who are producing meat supply for the country and for the world can continue to do what they do and play a critical role role in feeding and feeding the world. And so this is a finely oiled machine and we have to make sure that all um, aspects of it are working appropriately. And so we've got farmers that are raising hogs and cattle and producing and we've got manufacturer uh, processing plants that need, need to be able to, to uh, process. And so we need to do it responsibly and safely and uh, we are doing that. And so evidently they do think that we're doing a good job. Uh, there, That was the comment that he made. And as I said, um, I thought Dr. Patel did an excellent job of talking about virus activity and how we're managing it, what we're seeing from the data, and how we're really utilizing that to be proactive in our response. And evidently she did it well enough that uh, they thought that she should be a part of the coronavirus task force. So I think Iowans should be proud of that. And I know that I certainly am. It's not perfect, but I think we're doing everything we can to really take care of Iowans in a responsible way, but also to get this economy up and going so Iowans can get back to work and we can do everything we can to get our lives somewhat back to normal. Governor, you traveled out of state obviously yesterday and have chosen not to self-quarantine upon your return. Should Iowans feel safe now to travel wherever and not take that precaution? So, again, Iowans need to make those individual um, choices themselves. Uh, they need to apply personal responsibility, take into account where they're going, what they're doing. I, um, I didn't use commercial flight. I, I talked about that before I left. I took a test uh, at arriving at the White House, um, an Abbott test, to make sure that I tested negative. They took my uh, temperature about every time I turned a corner. I left the White House and came, um, came back home. So, but again, uh, Dave, people need to start, you know, they have to make these personal decisions. They have to apply personal responsibility. If you are a vulnerable Iowan and you have underlying conditions, then you maybe need to rethink, you know, your travel and probably continue to stay home and limit your trips outside of the home. 
Governor, I have a quick question for you about the, um, the meatpacking plant situation. Yeah. I know the governors of Nebraska and South Dakota have said that among meatpacking plant workers, they, they live in close proximity, and perhaps some of the spread is among the community itself and has nothing to do or little to do with where they work. Do you, do you agree with that, that, that concept, concept of, of the, the rapid spread among people who live closely together? Obviously, I think a lot of people believe it started at the meatpacking plant, but what's your take on that? Yeah, thank you for that question. I think it's another example of a place where we've continued to learn more about this virus and we're going to continue to do so. So just like when we think about the spread of other diseases, other bacteria or viruses, we think about opportunities for those kinds of things to happen. And we know about this virus that being in close personal contact um, is one of the risk factors for allowing this virus to move from one person to another. And that's why a lot of the recommendations that we've made are really focused on ways to limit that interaction and limit those opportunities. And so I think taking everything together, you know, we certainly know people who live in households might be spending time in close proximity. And if there are other opportunities or places where people might potentially be in close proximity, that's exactly why we're trying to reinforce, um, you know, older people and people with underlying conditions should not be in those situations and should be still staying home. And also reinforcing things like social distancing and the use of cloth face coverings in public if you're unable to maintain that kind of distance. And so regardless of the setting, I think keeping in mind that what we know biologically is that being in close contact is a potential risk that helps us guide their recommendations um, and public health uh, control measures that we put in place in a variety of settings. Governor, I think part of that was to, to basically say that regardless of what the meatpacking plants did to protect their workers, the virus may have spread well, and, anyway. And absolutely, as Dr. Bradati just said, you know, as we, it's in households, that's where we're seeing significant spread. I think, you know, just the fact even with the, uh, Governor Cuomo, when he was doing his press conference yesterday, one of the things that he reported out was that 61, 66 percent of the hospitalization came from individuals who had sheltered because they were sheltered in or had sheltered in. And so, you know, we learn every day. So we are seeing it spread within households, especially generational, but with the large households. And we're seeing it also then when they go to work in close proximity like that, it tends to spread as well. Is this, can we assume from that that there's maybe a broader change of thinking now that the restrictions we did may not be either weren't necessary or aren't necessary for the future based on what you're learning about yeah. the virus? Yeah, well, so what, you know, kind of that's what I was saying in the remarks. I think originally it really was about protecting Iowans. There were so many unknowns and it was about managing our resources. You know, the early projections were like thousands of Iowans were going to be impacted, hospitalized, the, the number of deaths, the number of potential vents that would be needed. So we just didn't know and we didn't have a good understanding of what our resources were. So so while 80% of our businesses were up and going and remained working because of our essential workforce, uh, we did put targeted mitigation efforts in place. And by doing that, really kind of limiting the activity, uh, asking for social distancing, uh, 
closing down some of our non-essential businesses, and Iowans really responded. They did a great job. And because of that, that bought us time so that we could put in place the infrastructure and the system to understand where those vents and beds and ICU beds were at, not only from a state perspective, but from a regional perspective. And I think now that we've done that and now that we've seen based on Iowa data what some of our numbers are and how now how so we're changing our strategy I think about how we look at this like we do with the flu kind of like Dr. Padati said so we're looking at, at at containing and managing which allows us to continue to open up in a very safe and responsible way you know we're not opening them up at full capacity most everything is at 50% capacity we're asking them to still co social distance we're still limiting gatherings uh, social gatherings to 10 or fewer so you know we're doing it in a responsible manner and Iowans need to continue to be mindful but I think we need to also that allows us to take the next to move to the next phase and really feel you know start to open up and, and realize that we can do that in a responsible and safe manner and I've been so impressed with the business and the churches and everybody, they really are being very responsible. They're making their decisions on whether they're ready to open up, if that's the right thing for them to do and how they're doing it. They're paying a lot of um, attention and utilizing the Department of Public Health's guidance that they have put in place for them to kind of walk through when they're thinking about reopening. And so my hope is, as we continue to watch the trends and, and monitor the virus activity that we can continue uh, to, to open things back up as we move forward. There's Governor and Kim Reynolds in her press conference today here on KXNO. We're going to take a quick break when we come back on the other side. Ken and myself, we're going to be taking a look back at our great teams in state history as we continue with that. It's presented by the Roshan Corporation, helping fulfill your commercial construction needs, varying from small space remodels to large-scale projects. Contact Roshan Corporation online, RoshanIA.com. That's R-O-C-H-O-N. IA.com for Roshan Corporation. A look back at 2005-06, the Iowa basketball team with Jeff Horner. That's next here on Miller and Condon, 1460 KXNO and 106. See you soon. Ken Miller, Trent Condon, Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM. All right, welcome back. It's Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Trent, we forgot to do the key word after Governor Reynolds. Let's do that right now. Jeff Horner coming up as we take a look back at some of the best teams in the state of Iowa. We're going to get to that 2005-2006 Iowa Hawkeye men's basketball team. But right now, KXNO and iHeart trying to help you out with your bills. Text the key word LOVE to 200. 200 right now. It's your chance to win $1,000. That's LOVE to 200. 200. You'll get a confirmation text and info. Standard data and message rates apply in this nationwide contest. All right, there you go. Let's get into it. He's Jeff Horner. He's a participant, a big name on that 2005-2006. Not a participation ribbon for this guy. <laughs> he was a major, major cog on that team. Uh, as we take a look back at the 2005-2006 Hawkeyes, uh, Jeff joins us. Jeff, Trent Condon, Ken Miller, good to catch up with you. Jeff Horner, how are you? Hey, I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. No, I appreciate you coming on. You know, before we get into that, uh, we've been, you know, following uh, when we've been able to see some stuff uh, made public on, on your your, your health battle. What's the latest, Jeff, if you don't mind sharing? How are you doing? 
Yeah, I had my uh, had my last uh, uh, round of chemo in November, and um, and then had a uh, scan, clean scan in December, and then I've had one more clean scan since then, and so just just waiting for my next clean scan, hopefully next month. And health is all good, and moving forward, and trying starting to get my energy back a little bit. I've kind of tried to start working out again a little bit, so uh, I tried it a little bit early, and uh, I could only run for about a minute before I hmm. about passed out. So <laughs> right now, uh, health is getting getting back to good, and, and I'm just I'm just thankful that uh, everything turned out okay. Well, it's great to hear, no doubt, Jeff, and excited to get together with you again and tell these stories and stories that we're going to tell today looking back at your career at Iowa and looking back specifically at your senior season. Before that, though, you are a head coach down at Truman State, the season ends. You're still going through recruiting. I mean, there's just so much going on right now in the here and now as you're going through everything with what we're dealing with with COVID-19. How's it been for you as a head coach trying to put this all together? Well, it's definitely been interesting just because we knew that at the end of the year we were probably going to have to get one or two more uh, transfers, so to speak, or you know, junior college kid, that type of thing, um, to help our team out next year and not take a step backwards, in my opinion. Um, and so obviously, you know, we, we, we're on our way to the national tournament in Indianapolis. Uh, we are 23 and eight, we got the second seed and we're thinking, you know, we might have a chance to win a national championship here. We had won six in a row. We were playing really well at the time and, and, uh, we were actually on the bus. We just got past St. Louis and all of a sudden we got the call that the tournament was canceled. It was the day after the big 10 tournament got canceled actually. So. Um, it was, it was tough news for our team and, but they took it, you know, like champions and, uh, good thing is we got to cut down the nets at the, at, the, oh, nice. uh, at our, at our conference tournament. Um, so, you know, we ended the year on a win. And so not many, not many people get to say that they, you know, they ended their year on a win. So we were pretty happy about that. Um, but you know, in the end now, now you got to get back to recruiting, that type of thing. We set up virtual visits for some of our recruits so that they could kind of just see campus because obviously the NCAA is coming on campus for recruiting or, or going out on going out to uh, see a recruit play and so it's made it difficult on both ends you know now you have kids trying to make decisions without ever seeing a campus which you know is, is interesting that you know they want to have that comfortable feeling and so we try to make it as comfortable as possible with with our virtual tour and that type of thing and and then just obviously the relationship with the coaches is obviously huge so we, we've been we've been doing our best uh, we got a couple of late signees and uh, one of them is, has officially signed, so um, you know we're, we're really happy about where we're sitting for next year. You know, Jeff, what in your playing days at Iowa, or when you were over in uh, Belgium or Paris, or with the with the Iowa Energy locally? And I know that coaching it, it started when you were at uh, at uh, playing for the Energy. But when did you first realize that you know this game means so much to you that maybe once your playing days are over, that coaching's a path uh, that you want to take? Is that something that you always had in the back of your mind, or when did that? Uh, become something that you know you wanted to pursue um yeah it always kind of was there just because my dad was a head high school coach for about 30 years so i was i was constantly around the game i was the ball boy for the two state championship teams that he had and so i was you know riding the bus and just loving it and um and then kind of what happened when i was done playing basketball um you know every athlete goes into medical sales now it seems like so (laughs) um you know i was kind of deciding whether or not to go do the medical sales route or be a coach and you know i was kind of talking to my mom and, and um, she's like I, I just think you would hate it if you weren't around the game that much and so you know obviously coming from my mom who doesn't say much um you know it's kind of one of those things where you know she's probably right it's probably about time i, I listen to my parents for once right 
Um, so, uh, you know, it's one of those things where I was just, I knew I was going to have to get into it and, uh, just to be happy and, and come to work every day, which doesn't even seem like a job. I get to coach basketball and be around great people. You know, I was born and raised in Winnipeg, so I spent many nights in Grand Forks when I'd come to the States for the weekend. <laughs> what was Grand Forks like living there? It was cold. Yeah. <laughs> it was, uh, no, it was cold, but actually... You know, the, the city of Grand Forks was great. We always used to kind of say um, if we could get kids to come to campus, um, we could usually get them just because, you know, not a lot of people A lot of people think, you know, it's kind of like the stigma with Iowa. Well, what, what is there to do there? And But once you get to campus and that type of thing and you kind of see um, just the town and the city and what they have to offer, um, my wife and me, we really liked it. We, you know, both of our children were born up there too, so – um, Grand Forks always hold a special place in my heart. Well, let's look back, Jeff, and go back to your senior season going into the year. Certainly some expectations. Your junior year, you guys get into the NCAA tournament, losing the first round to Cincinnati, and uh, Nick Lachey sitting in the, right behind the bucket there nice. for that one, a vivid memory. But going into the season, there were expectations certainly here statewide, but didn't seem like nationally you guys were expected to be what you turned out to be big 10 tournament champions a team that got a number three seed in the ncaa tournament going into the year just the expectations inside your team yeah i just think i think we knew that we had a chance to compete for a big 10 uh tournament championship big 10 championship regular season uh just with the guys that we had kind of brought back and obviously you know everyone kind of knows um you know we had some issues the the couple years before that with some stuff so it was kind of a a Mm -hmm. year to kind of start free I guess you could say to where we could start from the beginning with our entire team that we held on from you know from start to finish in that that entire year so I think that's that was something that was that was huge for us but uh the biggest thing that you know that team had was was the chemistry and um you know I you know we weren't gonna well maybe besides Doug Thomas we weren't gonna out at (laughs) that type of thing um you know, and so it, it was one of those things where we just knew how to play basketball. We played extremely hard. We did what we were supposed to do, and and uh, you know the expectations weren't weren't that high, but we knew coming in that we we were going to be a team to beat in the Big Ten for sure. Who was the worst practice player? But when the lights would go on and the stands would be full, it was a different guy. Who was that guy on your roster? Um, man, probably you know Alex Thompson was one of those was one of those guys where in practice, um, you know, he would just he would go at Bruner, that type of thing, and you know he was kind of waiting his turn. Um, mm-hmm. But he was one of those guys in practice. He would just he would kill people, and and everyone would be like, "All right, let's, let's see that in the game." But you know, in the same sense, in saying that type of thing, you know, not not starting is a difficult task for some people who have kind of started their whole lives, you know, in the starting five and have to come off the bench, those types of things. So, uh, you know, I think it just it took Alex a little bit used to getting to come off the bench, and you know, obviously he hit some big shots for us. Uh, You hit some big shots in the Big Ten tournament in your own right. Were you playing the best basketball of your career at the end? I mean, we know how it ended, the, your your senior season. But towards the end, did you think that you were playing as well as you'd played? Uh, yeah, definitely. You know, it was one of those one of those things where, um, you know, it was the last go around and uh, I put in some extra time, you know, when, when, the, when people weren't around, that type of thing, just because I knew that this was it. And, um, 
you know, the other thing that not a lot of people knew that I had two broken ribs underneath my uh-huh. right, um, under, underneath my right arm <laughs> during that thing. So, uh, about five or six games left, uh, right before we played Penn State, I think it was, um, I fell on a ball and, and broke two ribs. Mm. And so it was one of those things where I was playing on it and, uh, you know, just having to push through it. And so, you know, I mean, no one's ever healthy, right? So it's one of those things where we were, we were doing a good job and, uh, you know, it's, I, I thought, I thought I was playing pretty decent towards the end there. You know, Jeff, as look back, I was telling Ken right before we brought you on about a memory that I had as we, well, we didn't have Big Ten Network back then, and Ohio State was playing Northwestern towards the end of the regular season. You guys still had a chance to get the regular season crown, and uh, Carmody tried to draw up a play, and Northwestern couldn't, couldn't capitalize, and Ohio State gets away and wins the regular season title. As you went into that championship game in the Big Ten tournament, how important was it knowing that you guys almost had the regular season title, but your chance to finally throw in the Buckeyes, if you will? Well, and we and that was that was exactly what we wanted. We wanted to play Ohio State, and you know, unfortunately, throughout the regular season, we only got to play them one time, mm-hmm. and we beat them at our place. And so, you know, we thought, you know, obviously they won the they they won it and that that type of thing. But we felt like we were the better team, and we wanted to come out and show that. And so, we we definitely wanted to play Ohio State in the championship just so we could prove that we were the best team um, in the league that year. And I thought we we came out and did that. So it was. Uh, it was fun to do that and, and play against them, but um, you know we never that that team definitely never backed down from a challenge. Uh, we're speaking with Jeff Horner, it's Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, fourteen sixty KXNO and one hundred six point three FM. Roshan Corporation makes uh, sponsors this as we take a look back at some of the great teams in the state of Iowa uh, history. You know what I remember vividly about your team, Jeff, is the ribbing that one of your teammates took whenever you guys were on the road in the Big Ten, uh, and student sections seemingly were and I. I guess it's all in good fun, but boy, they let Bruner have it with that hairdo that he had going on. I mean, as you as you know, it's, it's, it's the receding hairline, and uh, boy, some of the student sections seemingly were vicious against old forty four. Yeah, I mean they they came after him. I mean, you, you make a you make a very good point. So, uh, but you know, he's one of those types of guys where he just lets it you know come right off his shoulders, and I kind of. I actually got a kind of a funny story about that. So uh, we um, <laughs> we he came down a week when I was doing chemo down here, and uh, every every time we we drive to Missouri or we drive down to uh, Columbia in the morning, and uh, I'd, I'd drive and he would ride in the passenger seat, and uh, we had to pull in and tell tell everyone what we were doing. And so you know I was I was bald at the point at the time, and uh, we pull up and I say, hey, I'm just taking my friend to chemo here, so. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I kind of got him back, and he looked at me like, and we just we just bust out laughing. So, um, you know, those ball jokes still still go good today. Oh man, Jeff! You know, as as you look back, it all has to end, unfortunately, before the NCAA tournament. You're coming off the high of the Big Ten tournament, the win against Ohio State in the championship game, Alex Thompson hitting that big three. Mm-hmm. And you're getting ready for it. And as you guys make your way up to Michigan and you have Northwestern State, you control that game for a long time. Jeff, we, we've talked about it, I know, before. And it's something that still has to linger, just thinking back in a in a tournament where it felt like you guys could m- really make a run. Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, I mean, there's there's not a day that goes by. And we talked about this trend that I don't I don't think about it some some way or another. I mean, you know, it ended ended my college career and ended you know some other guys' college careers too. So, you know, for it to end like that is just uh, just a travesty, especially with the type of season that we had. Um, you know, obviously we were, we were in control of that game, and then you know a couple of things happened. Some, some people went to the bench, and then 
you know, by the time we got back in, it was one of those things where it was tough to uh, tough to gain the momentum back. You know, once the team has momentum, it's hard to get it back. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's, it stinks that, you know, it, it ended that way. But, um, you know, for me, being coaching now and, and seeing those types of things, those, those types of game end, enders, um, you know, it, it's definitely helped me out in my coaching, my coaching presence and, and made me really understand, you know, how, how truly important every possession is. Mm. Uh, you're an Iowa kid, obviously, uh, growing up at Mason City. Do you wish, Jeff, that, you know, that, uh, that, the, that Drake and the U and I were still on the schedules today, you know, the smaller schools and the home and home, I guess. I know that, you know, that, uh, the ADs, Barta and Pollard, you know, we didn't come play this at our place, but, you know, it just doesn't make sense economically. Do you, lo- do you long for those days? Are we missing out as, uh, as basketball fans an opportunity to, you know, to see the Hawks at the McLeod or see them downtown Des Moines at the Knapp Center? Yeah, definitely. I think so. I mean, I, I mean, me personally, I, I think those games are, we should play those games. You know, I, I, I loved always competing against, you know, a lot of times friends that I played AU basketball with, you know, Ben Jacobson at UNI, Josh Powell at Drake. Um, you know, we always played against, we always played, you know, with each other in AU and then we go on to our separate colleges and, and be able to play against that. But just to give the fans that, that type of thing. But, you know, in the end, I also understand, you know, why, why, it's not there, I guess you could say. Um, now, does that mean that I like it? No, but you know, in the end, you know, a lot of it's kind of about money and about you know, record in the NCAA tournament, that type of thing. But um, you know, it's it definitely be better games than, than some of the other ones that we have. But you know, everybody in the country kind of has those yep. those games where you know you pay a team a hundred thousand dollars to come in and beat the beat the brakes off them. I guess you could say. But um, you know, it's 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 tough, but. You know, I understand it both ways as well. Uh, my last thing, John, let Trent finish up here with you, Jeff. Jeff Horner is our guest, and thank you for coming on, Jeff. Appreciate it. You know, we hear that, um, you know, after guys finishes his, his college career, well, he's got a chance to go over and play, play in Europe and make some money. You were in Belgium and I believe in Paris before you came back. What what did you think you were getting into when you when you crossed the pond, What and was it what you expected? And I know it's not a one-size-fits-all kind of answer because I'm sure different countries are different, but it was Europe the Europe experience, if you will, what you expected um you know i think i think where a lot of people you know don't understand is that you're going over there to do a job i guess you could say um you know we're doing two practices a day that type of thing so you're not just going over there to sightsee now in saying that you know i felt like i was a little young and immature and you know i was one of those guys where it's like all right can i how how can i find a mcdonald's you know type of thing (laughs) and then you know, as the as the three years uh, went on, you know, I, I truly realized how lucky I was to be able to go over there and live over there. And um, my daughter's middle name is, is named after the city's, um, uh, the Belgian city that we that we played in right now. You know, so um, it always holds a special place in my heart. Uh, you know, playing in Belgium and playing in France and playing in the D League and that type of thing. So um, going over there, you know, I, I didn't really know what to expect. I was just nervous that, you know, because I wasn't going to be able to speak Dutch or French that, that I wasn't, you know, how am I going to communicate with anyone? So, <laughs> you know, it was one of those things, but then once I got over there, uh, people were so nice and that type of thing, especially in Belgium, they were just, they were great people. We were in a little town of it, about 10,000 people and, and, uh, you know, everyone knew everyone and, uh, our basketball, you know, game was was what everyone went to on Saturday nights, and so 
um, you know, looking back on it now, I'm just I'm just extremely lucky to be able to go over there and see the culture and that type of thing. And, and uh, I still have a lot of a lot of friends from from those teams as well. Well, Jeff, it's great catching up and going through some of these memories and looking forward with you. Great to hear about everything with your health and everything going forward. We're certainly thinking about you, hoping for the best. And how's the golf game? You been able to swing the clubs yet? Oh man, I went and played with my daughter about four, four or five holes yesterday before she had to, you know, she had to get a Powerade. So uh, we, we had we had to cut it off, but it was it was great for sure. Well, next time you're in Des Moines, let's uh, let's hit the links and have a good time. What do you say? Sounds good, man. I'm I'm all for it. Jeff, thank you for coming on. Appreciate it. Be well. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Good to talk to you. Jeff Horner, as we take a look back at the 2005-2006 uh, Iowa season that ended uh, with a thud, quite frankly, yeah, that, especially the run that they were on at the end. You know, one of the things looking back at that that I think some people forget, and you remember the shot in the corner from I Northwestern do. State, Absolutely. but that inbound, Haluska had a look. It, it was over half court. He almost hit that thing. You've said that before a number of times. I should have watched what, that again. Well, go back and watch yeah, I'll that. I'll have to. That sequence yeah. at the end. It was it was online, and he just he just missed that one. And and how different it very well could have been. They would have played West Virginia in the next round. Mm. Texas would have been waiting in the Sweet and 16. And they played tix, Texas early in the year that year, did they, they not? They did, yeah. An excellent Texas team. And that was uh, right after they beat Kentucky. Raishan Rondo and wow. company. And that Kentucky squad in the first round of the Guardians Classic and then played Texas in the championship game. Would have had another opportunity against mm. the Longhorns and ah, what could have been. But that's the NCAA tournament. Only one team's real happy at the end. Indeed. Uh, Roshan Corporation sponsors our look back at some of the uh, better teams, more memorable teams uh, in the state of Iowa. Roshan Corporation, we appreciate them doing that. So we'll come in tomorrow. We will break down everything. Okay. Bears, Vikings, wins Chiefs, and losses Packers. for how many of the thirty-two teams? Well, I don't know if we'll go that far. But <laughs> yeah, we might, we might, yeah, we just might. Well, Tom Caker is going to be a part of it. So is, uh, of course, uh, our buddy Alex Halstead from twenty-four-seven Sports. We're out of here, Murph and Andy at two. The Fanatics at four. Morning rush back on the air tomorrow morning at six a.m. We're Miller and Condon, uh, ten to noon on Des Moines Sports Station fourteen sixty KXNO and one hundred six.